Happy New Year! Yeah, I believe I was uh, the first one to tell you Merry Christmas. Now I get to be the first one to tell you Happy New Year. I'm not sure what's going on there. But welcome, welcome to those of you at our Noonan campus. Welcome to those at LaGrange and watching online. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, We are humbled by the opportunity to get to hang out with you every week and, and, and just get to share Jesus and fellowship and worship. Worship this morning was incredible, huh? Come on now. Come on. You're going to have to help me out today. I, I like it when he gets loud. I, I like it when the crowd reacts with me. Um, it just kind of, well, yeah, it gives me chills. And, and, and it just helps me. It just helps. I'll just say that. But hey, you know, 2018 is off to a great start. 2018 is off to a great start. We are giving to our local partners. Lives are being changed, right? And we're seeing people meet Jesus. That's what should happen, amen? Come on. I mean, at LaGrange and Noonan, I love it. And I hope 2018 starts off well for you as well. I do. I hope you have the best year you've ever had in 2018. And, you know, one of the things we thought would help with that is, is, is we sat down as a preaching team a couple weeks ago and said, okay, hey, what is God really wanting to say to our people? What is God really wanting to say? And, and we landed on first and second Peter. Now, first and second Peter for me is like, that's my favorite. That's my book. I, I love first and second Peter. And, and, and I was like, wow. And the fact that I was already in first and second Peter in my own time, in my own quiet time. It was just kind of another one of those ways that Jesus was saying, I'm in control. My timing is perfect, Cameron. And I love it when he does that because usually I need to hear it about that time. And it was a time in my life that I needed to hear that. I'm in control. My timing is perfect. And, and, and so I'm excited to be in first and second Peter I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about it because First and Second Peter, it's talking about maturing and growth. And so when we decided, hey, we really believe God is leading us here, I got excited. And then it came to the title of the series, Adulting. Yeah. I cringed a little bit. I did, I cringed a little bit because just the word makes me cringe. But honestly, I mean, if you have to say you're adulting, you are probably not adulting. But even I looked it up, I was like, well, okay, what's the Urban Dictionary say? That's where you go to for those words, right? And it says, adulting is used by 50% of the people that aren't actually adulting. I'm like, fantastic. And so then we, we decided we would put the tagline on there, having a grown-up faith, and I feel better. <laughs> I was like, awesome, good. But if you're over 40 and, and you're like, what is adulting? It's a term that people use for, I'm growing up, I'm maturing. And I think we could all mature and grow. I think we could all mature and grow in our faith. It doesn't matter what age you are. You could be 10. You need to mature and grow. You could be 70 or 80. You can mature and grow. My grandpa was growing and maturing his very last day. When I had a conversation with him, he's like, here's what Jesus showed me. Very, very briefly, here's what Jesus showed me. And he's on his deathbed. 
So I believe you can grow and mature no matter what age you are. But maturing is not just getting older in age. Maturing is growing, developing, and flourishing in our walk with Christ that makes us more like him. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about a grown-up faith, a maturing faith. And so we are, we're going to be in 1 Peter. And I think sometimes, though, we find ourselves kind of stuck. We find ourselves stuck in, in this endless loop of mundane. We, we wake up in the morning, right? We take a shower, we get dressed, we may have coffee. My coffee count, you don't know, want to know what it is today. We have coffee, we have breakfast, we may get the kids ready for bed if we have kids. If not, we go to work, we're on the drive. We, we may or may not listen to the radio, may or not, not listen to sports talk. We may or may not do some of those things, but then guess what? We may drive through and, and get a coffee or, or get Chick-fil-A or McDonald's. I don't know what you do. Then you go to work, you sit at your desk or you go to school, you sit at school, you go through your schedule. You may go back to Chick-fil-A for lunch. You may or may not be able to check off the box any time in that morning for a quiet time or a personal time with Jesus. It just depends on how you were feeling that day. Then you go back to work, go back to school, you do whatever you do for till the kids get out of school or until it's time to be over. And, and then you go home, you, you may or may not have dinner depending on if it's fin for yourself night. We do a lot of fin for yourself nights. You may or may not pray at dinner. It just depends if you get to check it off the box. And you decide you may watch TV, you may read a book, you may do something, you may go work out, I don't know. And then you go to bed. Get up the next morning, do it all over again. But oh, the weekend's coming. You may or may not check church off the box. Depends on how you're feeling. And then Monday comes and you do it all over again. And we just get stuck in this routine of mundane. Almost boring. Depending on how you're living your life. Sometimes we may not feel like that. Sometimes we may feel like, I am out of the funk. I'm good to go. But very soon, you're right back in it. It's a cycle. Sometimes we think we may need to quit a job because we need a new cycle. Sometimes we may need to quit a, I'm done with that. I need to try something new. I'm done with this. I'm done with that. We just end up in a cycle. But that's not the life God wanted you to live. That's not the life he designed for you to live. He designed for you to live a life that's exciting and refreshing and new every day. And that's why I love First and Second Peter. My fascination with Peter started when I was young. My dad played Peter in our church passion play. It's a play that we did for the city of Wichita, Kansas for years. And we would do it two weeks in a row and it was crazy. But my dad played Peter. I don't know if you know, but it's cool when your dad is up there on the stage and he cuts off 
he cuts off that soldier's ear and you're like, yeah, that's my dad. But my dad reminded me, I mean, if you, if you understand, Peter had to be fit to create that amount of force to cut off someone's ear. My dad was a bodybuilder. I don't know what happened to me. Something happened. Thanks. But here's the thing. He also, my dad walks on water. My dad barefoot water skis. Peter walked on water. So I just kind of correlated Peter with my dad. And and I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. And so he just became one of my favorite characters. He, He wrote one of my favorite books. But the Peter we see in, in first and second Peter is a different Peter than we see in the four, the four gospels, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Something happened. The cross happened. Resurrection happened. Maturity and growth happened. Peter went from questioning Why, Jesus, why do you have to die on the cross for everyone's sins? Why has it got to be the cross? To teaching in 1 and 2 Peter, you should suffer for the cross. The maturity and growth that takes place is unbelievable. And that's why I love 1 and 2 Peter. That's why I love 1 and 2 Peter. You know, Peter is writing to the Jewish Christians who have been scattered throughout the five provinces of, 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 of uh, sorry, five provinces of Asia Minor. And, and, and he's writing to these Jewish Christians who've been scattered because they're being persecuted. They're being persecuted for a number of reasons. One is they didn't bow down and worship Caesar. They didn't bow down and worship Nero at the time. When it was time to, they refused. And Nero also blamed them for the fires that decimated Rome at the time. But he, 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 he persecuted them, some by death, some he would just put in jail. It just depends. They were also being persecuted because at the time, Romans absolutely hated that self-sacrificing service that Christians were a part of and had been accustomed to. They didn't like it. So they were persecuted. They were persecuted by their Jewish inheritance as well because it was just causing reek. It was causing havoc. You can imagine in a home, the head of the household was the authority in that time. And if you were a wife or a son or daughter and became a Christian at that time, the head of the household could just kick you out and say, you're done. You're through. They also refused to be a part of any pagan rituals or anything which affected money and You know what happens when you affect money for someone. You get persecuted. And so Christians at the time were persecuted. But Peter wanted to remind them of the hope that comes through salvation in Christ. That that hope wasn't lost. And so that's where we pick up in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. 
If you got your Bibles, open them up. We're going to dive in, and that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, and then briefly in 1 Peter chapter 2. Here it goes. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your goals. Boom. Wow. I love those verses. Because it's telling me my hope's not just for the future. My hope is when I immediately say yes to Jesus. My hope begins then. It's not for, it is, yeah, it's for the future, but it's not just for the future. It's right now. When we ask Jesus into our life, it begins now. He's saying it's immediate. God's mercy sent Jesus to die on the cross and to be raised from the dead so that we could have new life. To be born again. And when we ask Jesus into our life, we receive a reward in heaven that is far greater than anything we could ever imagine. It's far greater than any riches, any rewards that we could get on this earth. And it's waiting in heaven. It's a beautiful picture of God's love. Of God's mercy. And that no matter what we go through, God will help remain true to us. God will help remain. He, he's going to remain true. His word doesn't, it doesn't shift here or there. It doesn't shift with the wind. His word remains true no matter what. His promises remain true. And good. God is good. I love what it says because Peter references Thomas and, and actually Peter references Jesus' own words when Thomas comes to him and says, hey, I need to see it. I need to see it to believe it, right? I need to see the holes in your hands. And Peter references when Jesus says, you know what? Those who see who believe great. But those who believe who have not seen are blessed. How awesome is it that that's, that's you and me? We are blessed. If you've asked Jesus into your life, you are blessed. You are a part of his kingdom. You are a part of his family. 
And why do we walk around with a frown all the time? His love and his mercy, he <laughs> saved us. And we are blessed. Faith will be rewarded and evil will be punished. It talks about that in those verses, in those closing verses. Faith will be rewarded. Your faith will be rewarded. Evil will be punished. That's a part of it. But when you've asked Jesus in your life, when you have asked him in your life and we've said yes, and when you said, Jesus, come and save me, what do you do? What do you do until God comes back? What do you do until that glorious day? You pursue holiness. You pursue holiness. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Holiness is being completely devoted, completely devoted and dedicated to God. 116 is not a suggestion. Be holy if you want. It's a commandment. To be holy is commandment. It's saying, hey, go after me. Everything you've got, come after me, Cameron. Am I your number one, Cameron? Am I your first priority, Cam? Am I everything you've got, Cam? It's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. Now we can't do this on our own. We can't do it on our own, but we can call on the God of the universe, the creator of all things, to give us strength, to give us power. We can call on the God of the universe. That means we don't have to use excuses. We don't have to use the excuse that, oh, I just couldn't do it. Oh, I couldn't get through it. Oh, I'm weak. No. He says to be holy for I am holy. If he's going to command you to be holy, he's going to give you the strength to see you through. He's going to give you what you need to see you through. So my question is, what do you need to remove to pursue holiness? Maybe it's pride, envy, jealousy, lust, deceit. What do you need to remove? I'm not talking about, oh, I watch too much social media. I watch, I do too much this, I do. That is, that is just, that is because something else is there. That is just part of what else, something else going on in your heart. 
We have to get to the root of the issue. We have to get to the root of the issue and pull that out. Allow God to take over. So what do you need to stop? A better question may be this. What do you need to start? What do you need to start to pursue holiness with everything you've got? A great place to start is just being obedient. I'm not a fan of that word. Because I, I, I think obedience is just, I, I take obedience as being a bad thing, but God intends it for a good. Being obedient is a great thing. Obedience to God's word is, is an incredible place to start in your pursuit of holiness. And if you don't feel a desire to be obedient to God's word, here's what you need to do. You need to intentionally pray for God to align your heart with his. You need to get on your knees and say, God, align my heart with yours. I want to pursue you with everything I've got. I want to pursue you with everything. Align my heart with yours. Align my heart. I want to be more like you. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves why God asks us to be obedient. It's not because he wants to show off his power or show you that he's right. It's because he loves you. And he wants the best for you. And in your obedience, you're going to live a full life an abundant life. I think sometimes that scares us because it means, ooh, I have to remove certain things. Ooh, I, ooh camera, I, I'm not sure. Wait, what? No. God loves you. He's not going to ask you to do something that's not in your best interest. He's not going to ask you to do something that's not part of his plan. He wants you to live a full and abundant life, completely devoted and dedicated to him. That's what God wants for you. That's what he desires for you. We think sometimes our own ways will bring us joy, but I love Proverbs sixteen twenty five. It says, there is a way that man seems, uh, seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. You see, Jesus is the only one who can help you. He's the only one who can remove the things in your life that are getting away of pursuing holiness. He's the only one. He's the only one that can provide what's called heart change. When we try to do it on our own, it's called behavior modification. Guess what happens with behavior modification? It doesn't end well. You stay in a cycle. Behavior modification isn't the way to go. If we try to change without Jesus, it won't last. 
I'm going to get very vulnerable with you. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I will. Many of you know, my wife and I are writing a book. We've been in the process of writing this book for about two years. We only have like three chapters left until we can um, be done with the first draft. It's crazy. It's taking long, probably because of me. (laughs) My wife's an incredible writer. But it's hard for me. Because as we write this book on marriage... I have to relive some of the darkest parts of our marriage. If you don't know, uh, in year three, my wife and I were pretty much done. Without telling each other, we were done. She was thinking it, I was thinking it. In one of the chapters in the book, she talks about how she was driving from Fayetteville, Arkansas, down to see a client in Fort Smith, and it's through the Ozarks. It's absolutely beautiful drive. And she describes it as she was crying out to God, change his heart or release me from my marriage. Change his heart or release me from my marriage. And I'm so thankful that in a week and a half we celebrate 14 years because he's changed my heart. Now, he didn't just change mine. He changed hers. She had to realize, and she says this in the book, so I'm using word for word what she says. I can't fix him. Only God can change him. And so if you want to pursue holiness... Start with obedience to God's word. Start with laying everything you've got out and saying, God, what do you want me to change? What do you want me to stop? What do you want me to start? The other thing is pursuing growth. Pursuing growth. When we let the spirit reveal these things to us, and remove them from our heart and, and lay them at his feet and ask for help. Jesus brings true change. And, and that true heart change is, is us pursuing growth. And, and, and 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3 says this. It says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, if your relationship with Jesus is healthy, you should want to grow. If your relationship with Jesus is healthy, you should want to dive into his word. Saying, God, give me wisdom. Show me what I need to change. Show me what I need to go after. Align my heart with yours. That's pursuing holiness. That's pursuing growth. That's when we know 
our hearts are aligned with his. As we realize the need for God's word every day in our life, our spiritual appetite will increase and we will start to mature. That spiritual appetite will just start to mature. It's every day you're thinking about him. Every minute you're thinking about him. Every second. When you go to bed at night, you're, you're dreaming about him. When you wake up, it's your first thought. Jesus, how can I be more like you today? How can I be more like you? So how strong is your desire to begin God's word every day? Not just checking it off the box so you can say, oh, I did it. But actually desiring it, actually wanting it, actually placing it as a priority in your life so that you can pursue holiness and obedience and growth. Because pursuing holiness and growth is what God calls us to. As sons and daughters of the Most High, we are a royal priesthood and we should live like it. Did you hear me? We are a royal priesthood and we should live like it. I love what 1 Peter 2.9 says. It says this, it says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Whoo! Wow. Whoa. Do you realize that being a royal priesthood, we are a part of God building his church. We are a part of other people coming to know Jesus because of how we live and how we represent him. In the start of chapter two, it talks about Jesus being the cornerstone of everything God builds his church on. And then he talks about the sons and daughters being parts of the stones that help build the church. Guess what? If we're gonna help build the church, we have to start acting like it. We have to start living like we're part of this royal priesthood. That we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. That we're not just here to live this life and just go day to day, but we're here to enjoy this life and see others come into fellowship with Jesus because of how you live and how I live. There's people that need Jesus. There's people that need Jesus and the only way they may see Jesus is you. The only way someone may see Jesus is, is at the autom automotive shop and you're at the front counter maybe and you just got a smile on your face. And when they get upset because they didn't get the job they wanted, guess what? You're smiling and you say, hey, it's okay, we'll handle it, we got this. It may be at the gym having a conversation. We have a lot of teachers in here. 
You get to show Jesus every day to your class and to parents in your workplace. Are you so wrapped up in Jesus that it's just who you are every day of your life? That's what I desire for our church. That's what I desire for my life. I told you I would never preach on something that isn't impacting me. I'm holding true to that. This God's word is impacting every piece of me right now. There are things that I have had to ask forgiveness for. There are things that I'm having to cut out of my life because God says, hey, I need you to be obedient right here. So I told you I'm not going to do it on my own because as a body of Christ, as a royal priesthood, we're in this together. We're in this together. We're in this together. We've got to do a better job of representing who God is because there's eternities at stake. We've been chosen by God. (sighs) To be a part of this spiritual house that can go out and change Coweta County, Troop County, and the world for Jesus. That is a great responsibility. It's a great opportunity. As Christians, We shouldn't be living this life down and out. Are things going to go wrong? Yes, that's life. Your pipes are going to break. Your dishwasher is going to go out. You're going to get that fixed and the washing machine is going to go out. Goodness. Things are going to happen. You're going to build a home and you're going to realize, oh my goodness, we never want to do that again. It's life. But how you handle it, guess what? You don't have any excuse anymore because you have Jesus. And he's called you to more. He's called you to pursue holiness and growth and to be more like him so more people can know him. That's what he's called you.